Welcome to Living the Questions, a podcast of the Unitarian Universalist Church of Cheyenne. Thank you for joining us. Here on Living the Questions, we wrestle. We wrestle with life's dilemmas, we wrestle with current events, and we wrestle with what it means to live lives of integrity. We hope that you find some community, some comfort, and some hope in this time together. To learn more about our congregation, you can visit our website at uucheyenne.org. Welcome, y'all, to our podcast for the week. Here on Living the Questions, we are wrestling with our question for the week. And our question this week is, what power do our imaginations have to transform the world? What power do our imaginations have to transform the world? And this question comes out of our monthly theme of imagination, but also comes out of this moment in our country and out of the Martin Luther King Jr. Day holiday that's coming up. Um, It's a question about you know, when we are going about the work of trying to change and transform the world, how can our imaginations help us do that? Let's dive in. So to get us started into our exploration of current events, I want to read some tweets from Bree Newsom, who some of you will remember as the veritable superwoman who climbed the flagpole outside of the South Carolina State House and took down um, a flag bearing the, the Confederate, you know, stars and bars. And so she wrote on Twitter earlier this week. Democracy is a theoretical form of government that people are either interested in working to make a reality or they aren't. It's not that complicated, but it requires being invested in the unglamorous work of developing an infrastructure to support true self-governance. Just because people oppose an existing oppressive order doesn't mean that they are genuinely invested in the idea of democracy or the work it requires to develop an actual democratic government. And that's why we often see one oppressive government be overthrown just to be replaced by another. I'm personally wary of any one or any movements that only devote time and energy to the overthrow of an existing oppressive power without investing in the grueling work of building the self-governing structures needed to replace an oppressive power with a truly democratic one. As I've thought about those tweets from Bree Newsom this week, I have thought about how they are, um, how they are an invitation to see the building work that we need to be doing behind the scenes, even as we do the work of, you know, holding people who are responsible for what happened at the Capitol accountable, that in the background of that, we need to be doing community building work. We need to be doing power building work. We need to be doing imagination work. 
right? Because when I put kind of what's happening currently in our country in conversation with this question about, you know, what power do our imaginations have to transform the world? It really makes me think about, you know, am I imagining a different and better future than the one we currently have? Right? It's what she points out in her tweets is sort of this, when we don't do the work of imagining a different way that it could be, we run the risk of, you know, overthrowing one oppressive, whether it's law or politician or elected official or, you know, whatever or whoever it is, we run the risk of removing someone from power, but not having a strong sense of what we want to go in its place. And so I think that's sort of the, maybe the invitation with how to engage with current events from our question is the invitation to see where are there people doing that imaginative work um, in our own local communities, in our country, around the world? Where can we find people who are doing that imaginative work in the midst of all of this, you know, heartbreaking violence and rage-inducing white supremacy Where are the people doing imaginative work and how can we support them? How can we participate in it? How can we direct the resources we have access to in order to undergird that imaginative work? So to ground us in our own Unitarian Universalist history, as we think about this question of what power our imaginations have to transform the world, I want to take us like way back in our Unitarian history to like the way, way back of Unitarian times to uh, a man named Ferenc David, who has sometimes been called Francis David or Francis David in our um religious parlance. So Ferenc David was the court preacher under King John Sigismund of Transylvania. And the thing about um, King John Sigismund of Transylvania uh, was that he um, issued something called the Edict of Torda or the Edict of Toleration in 1568 that um, really opened up theological exploration and, you know, specifically it opened up Christian theological exploration in that part of the world um, at that time. And so it was kind of part of this churning of religious, both like fervor and violence and intolerance in Europe following, um, you know, Martin Luther kind of writing his theses and and sparking some of that Protestant Reformation. So King John Sigismund really encouraged and allowed people to do some of their own theological choosing under the umbrella of Christianity. And the trouble with innovation is that when it's tied up with one particular leader, when that leader leaves or dies, right, you got to figure out what the next guy is going to do. And so a new king came to the throne after King Sigismund's death, and this new king um, really curtailed new theological exploration and innovation and was basically like, whatever, like, 
new theology you guys got up to um, over the last three years is what you've got, right? Like whatever new stuff you did, you can keep it, but you can't go any further. And so this is in 1571. And David was not interested in stopping his theological explorations um, because he had, you know, kind of in the prior been doing theological exploration around the Trinity, right, and around how he didn't feel there was biblical ev- evidence for the Trinity. Um, and then, but he had more innovation he wanted to do. He wanted to look at, you know, doctrines around communion or the Eucharist. He wanted to do look at doctrines around when we baptize people, right? All of these really juicy questions. Um, and his pal in the in King John Sigismund's court, whose name was Giorgio Biandrata. Um, so Biandrata and David ha- were pretty, like, they were kind of partners in theological exploration up until this new king kind of cut off that exploration and that innovation in 1571. And David just wouldn't stop. And his friend Biandrata, you know, was like, hey, come on, man. Like, why, why do you have to... Be so invested in using your imagination. Why do you have to be so invested in trying to find new answers or trying to explore further into these questions? But David was committed. He was an innovator. He was an imaginative thinker. And so in 1579, Frank David was convicted and sentenced to life in prison for the crime of religious innovation. He was sentenced to life in prison for the crime of religious innovation. And he eventually died in prison in 1588. And when I think about, you know, a world where somebody is getting a life sentence in prison for daring to suggest that revelation and our understanding of the divine is not sealed or set in stone. It's a reminder for me about how imagination is a threat to the status quo and how imagination and the capacity to see the world in a way that might be different from the ways that are benefiting the people currently in power, right? Like people find that threatening and many, many, many religious thinkers and leaders over the generations have paid the price. And so when I think about Frank David's legacy as a, a martyr in Unitarian history, I think about how can I and how can we, how can I be a faithful steward of that legacy? How can I be a faithful steward of the inherited legacy of somebody who went to prison rather than stop trying to find new ways to engage his Unitarian faith. And so I just, I just wonder, how can we be good stewards and faithful stewards of a a religious lineage that includes martyrs who were martyred, not because of any one creed, but because they were not bound by a creed, How can we be faithful stewards of this legacy of religious innovation? 
As I've been wrestling with this question about what power our imaginations can have to transform the world, I've been thinking about the um, preacher and theologian and professor Walter Brueggemann. And Walter Brueggemann's book that I read in seminary, among the books of his that I read in seminary, um, and among his many very, you know, important works is that he has a book called The Prophetic Imagination. And it's a book about the Hebrew prophets. And when I say Hebrew prophets, it's, you know, maybe you might think of it as sort of the named books of the Hebrew Bible, you know, Isaiah, Amos, that kind of stuff, Jeremiah, right? Those are the Hebrew prophets. And so, In talking about the Hebrew prophets, Walter Brueggemann has this really fantastic um, framework on why the Hebrew prophets capture our religious attention, whether it's for Jewish people or Christian people or folks like us as Unitarian Universalists who, um, who aren't necessarily Jewish or Christian, but whose history and lineage includes these books of the Bible. And so he, you know, in talking about what the power is of the Hebrew prophets, um, this is kind of how he describes it. And this is actually not from his book. This is from an interview he did um, with Krista Tippett. But here's what he said. The two things that are important are On the one hand, they were rooted in the covenantal traditions of whatever it was from Moses and Sinai and all of that. The other thing is that they are completely uncredentialed and without pedigree, so they just rise up in the landscape. The way I put it now is that they imagined their contemporary world differently, according to the old tradition. So it's tradition and imagination. There's no way to explain that, so we explain it by the work of the Spirit. But I don't think you have to say that. I think they are moved the way every good poet is moved, to have to describe the world differently according to the gifts of their insight. And of course, in their own time and every time since, the people that can control the power structure do not know what to make of them. So they characteristically try to silence them. What power people always discover is that you cannot silence poets. They just keep coming at you in threatening and transformative ways. That last line is so heart-stopping. Those last two lines, right? What what power people or pe- what people in power always find out is that you cannot silence poets. They just keep coming at you in threatening and transformative ways. And so the, the Hebrew prophets were part of this radical prophetic tradition that that lives on today in the work of poets. And I would, uh, you know, maybe invite an expansive definition of poet in Walter Brueggemann's kind of 
sense of who, what it means to have a prophetic imagination, right? What it means to have a prophetic imagination is to be a poet who can use language to, um, to imagine a different world than the one we are currently living in. And I think that that, that poetic spirit lives in written language, it lives in visual art, it lives in music, it lives in dance, right? That that prophetic imagination, that capacity to create a way for us to imagine a different world, that lives in so many different mediums. And so right, the Hebrew prophets and contemporary prophets and all of these different ways of being that could get wrapped up under that umbrella of the prophetic imagination. Um, It's about proclaiming that a different world is possible and that it's not possible only 100 years from now or it's not only possible after we die or it's not only possible, you know, on another planet. It's possible here in this one right now and that um, it's going to happen. And so that tradition of powerful proclamation is one that um, people and thinkers, right, both religious and secular, we often cast the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in that lineage. And I think that's a totally appropriate place to put him, um, along with many other civil rights leaders, um, along with, you know, Fannie Lou Hamer, along with... Coretta Scott King, along with Ella Baker, right? Those are people who have the capacity to imagine and to declare and to proclaim this different world. And so that also makes me think, right, in in reflecting on the life of Martin Luther King and of other civil rights leaders and of the Hebrew prophets themselves, Right, who, like, spoiler, if you have uh, not read their books in the Bible, I would say that many of them do not have, live long, happy lives. Some of them live long, unhappy lives, but many of them struggle to find an audience for their poetry of proclamation. Because those who declare a different world are often targeted by those in power. Right? Those who declare a different world are often like Ferenc David, you know, becoming targets for those in power because they have said it could be a different way and that that's threatening. And so all of these swirling questions, you know, these swirling questions about imagining a different world and about the courage and the power that it takes to imagine that different world has really led me to to further kind of wrestle with the, this question about how we are engaged with prophets and religious innovators and, you know, powerful poets who are teaching us a different way of being. How are we engaged with those powerful, prophetic, imaginative works in our own time? Because it's one thing to sort of look back at Ferenc David or at Martin Luther King or at Jeremiah in the Bible, right? It's one thing to kind of look back towards those people and um, find wisdom and solace and possibility in their words. 
And it's another thing to be really engaged with the Martin Luther King of 2021 or the Ferenc David of 2021 or the, you know, Jeremiah of 2021. Right? It's another thing to be able to recognize those prophets, those poets, um, while they are actively working and living. You know, it's another thing to really be engaged with what's happening right now. That also then leads me to this question, I think, in terms of how we engage with that that imaginative work that's happening, you know, right now, this minute, this week, this year in our communities and in our country, is that I think about this, you know, this, this question. How much energy do we dedicate to declaring why things won't work? Versus how much energy do we put into imagining a new way that things could work? Right? How much energy are we putting into figuring out all the reasons that something won't work versus how much energy are we putting into that powerful imaginative work? You know, how much energy are we really willing to put into, you know, that kind of building work that Brie Newsom talked about in her tweets? How much are we willing to put into that? And I, you know, an example of this is that there's a, a conversation happening in of progressive organizing circles right now around um, ending money bail, right? The process or the practice um, where if you're arrested for a crime, in order to be released from detention before you go to trial, you have to put up a certain amount of money. And the reality is that money bail disproportionately impacts poor people, um, black folks, other people of color, people who have, don't have access to traditional kind of lines of credit or banking or family money, right? So like money bail is a way that our criminal justice system disproportionately impacts the most vulnerable already. And so Illinois just voted to end money bail. That's right. Illinois has is going to do away with money bail. And they've given themselves two years so they have until the beginning of 2023 to figure out what they're going to do in terms of pretrial detention instead. Um, and I think this is an important example of saying, you know, we are going to put some energy into imagining a different way that it could be. And we could spend a lot of time talking about the reasons that ending money bail won't work. But that, I don't know about you all, but I would rather put my energy into figuring out how it can work. And so I think that that's an example of where, you know, how much energy are we putting into saying that it won't work? And how much could we be putting into finding a way that it will? You know, I think an example is, another example is the organizing that has led to significant electoral shifts in places like Georgia and Arizona, right? People have spent a lot of breath and ink and inches on, you know, screens to declare all of the reasons that that would never happen. And yet there were also people who were willing to say, you know what, I'm more interested in dedicating time to imagining how it could work. 
And so the the work of this imagination, this work of imagining, is not something that we can only look to the past to teach us about. Right? The prophetic imagination is not something that's only available to us if we look back at, you know, leaders like Martin Luther King or books of the Bible. The prophetic imagination, right, the imagination that has the power to change our world, that is all around us all the time. And so I've been left wondering as I've wrestled with this question, you know, where is the call to imagination? Where is the call to innovation within our own spiritual and religious communities? And I'm specifically turning it to religious and spiritual communities here because I think that sometimes as religious liberals, you know, we get more comfortable with the prophetic political imagination than we do with the theological or spiritual or religious imagination. You know, even though that's our heritage, even though, you know, part of how Unitarianism came to be was people challenging the theological status quo, we sometimes get more comfortable finding political solutions to the pain in the world around us than we do to kind of imagining a new way that our religious community could respond to that hurt and that pain. So I want to invite three questions for you, right? And isn't that just the whole shtick with this podcast? There's just questions inside of questions inside of questions. And indeed, here are three questions for me that as I think about what you know, how can this this prophetic imagination help me transform my community and myself, not just through, you know, creative political organizing, but also through, you know, that old crime, religious innovation. So here's the questions. And, you know, you can interpret these questions as being about your own heart your own spirit, your own mind, about yourself. Um, These questions could be about, you know, some group within your religious community. They could be about your whole congregation or even about your whole denomination. Here they are. Where is there a stuckness? Where is something stuck? Where is the energy just stuck? You know, where's the clogged drain? Where is there a stuckness? Next. When I let myself dream, when I let myself create, when I let myself become a poet... Is anything about that stuck area changed or transformed? When I let myself dream, when I let myself create, 
when I access the part of me, however small, that is a poet? Is there anything that could be transformed about that stuck place? And then finally, what is one thing I can do today, this week, maybe even this month, to move towards that dream, creative, poetic place of possibility? So those are the three questions that I invite you to use to consider where there is room for the prophetic imagination, for the possibility found in the most brave poetry our hearts can muster to change our spiritual and religious communities or our own spiritual and religious lives. So jot them down or just... Rewind a little bit here and pause after each one if you want to kind of reflect and journal. But where, where are you stuck when you let yourself dream? How does that stuck place change? And what is one thing, just one, in the pantheon of available things? that you can do today or maybe tomorrow to move toward that new possibility. The thing about poets, whether they be of word or of song or of movement, the thing about poets is that they cannot truly be silenced. If we are willing to imagine a new, a more beautiful, a more just, a more loving future, and if we are willing to declare it poetically, if we are willing to declare it with all of our heart and mind and spirit, then even if it takes hundreds or thousands of years, we will not be silenced. May it be so. Amen. Thank you for listening. Your presence matters to us. Whether you are here in Cheyenne or across the globe, we are grateful that you would spend this time with us. If you'd like to connect more with our community, you can visit our website at uucheyenne.org. I'm the Reverend Hannah Roberts Vilnave, and on behalf of a grateful community, thank you. We'll see you soon.